everyone. Welcome to the Reaching the Summit podcast tournament recap edition. As always, you've got me, Todd Buckingham. You can find me at t- Twitter at Reach Summit Pod. And I'm Zach Dosh. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. And I'm Greg Steeman. I am on Twitter at Greg Steeman. And so usually we have sort of a uh, agenda for the podcast, and I kind of tried to put one together. But I also thought, you know what, we would probably just kind of start talking about the tournament and go from there. I think it'll flow pretty, pretty uh, naturally from there. Uh, so why don't we just start out? And Zach, if you want to start, what were your thoughts on the tournament in general? What stuck out to you? Uh, what, what impressed you? What disappointed you? Any of that stuff? Yeah, I, well, I think the first and foremost thing is the level of play was just very high. You know, yeah. high level of execution, high level of effort shooting percentages were high guys just making a lot of tough plays a lot of tough shots and and that's what you want to see you know i think it was very clear that earl roberts was playing the best and so they deserved it and um i think they're going to be a great representation or representative of the conference in the ncaa tournament i think they're probably out of everybody in the conference as it stands right now they stand the best chance of actually winning a game out there so you know i'm glad they're representing the conference um you know obviously you, you feel bad for the rest of the teams in the conference but you know, the, those Oral Roberts kids deserved it, man. They put it together. They answered all the questions that we had for them this entire year, actually even going back a year or two ago. So um, they deserved it. Yeah, I'm in agreement. Uh, they, they they played the best, and that's that's the whole thing. It's always about who's playing the best, and to their credit, they, uh, they really did find a way to continue to improve. And, boy, they <clears throat> had some people step up around the big two. I think that was a big difference. That they had, they were so guard, so hard to guard the way it was. But then when they got started getting some cons- consistent contri- contributions from from the others, um, they they were probably the most complete team in the tournament. Yeah, I I would say the same thing uh, as both of you guys. The only thing I would add, it was really odd to be there without a crowd, and yet it still felt like basketball. All of that was normal. All of that was fun. Um, but not having the crowd, I'm very excited for next year when everyone gets to enjoy that the way that they always have heard lots of stories of people that had these longstanding traditions, um, that weren't able to go to this tournament and just on oral Roberts themselves, I I'll echo what Zach said. I do think that at least, especially the way they played this tournament and defended this tournament, except for maybe a half against North Dakota state and, and sort of the second half against South Dakota state, that team, now it all depends on draw. And, and from most of the projections, they look like a 15, 16 seed team. You know, those, those, there's a reason why we remember the 15 and 16s that have won. It's probably happened three or four times in those two seeds ever. So the chances aren't good, but in reality, South Dakota state, maybe a seed line higher than oral Roberts. It's not like the, and really the team that is playing the best right now won the tournament. And, mm-hmm. and, and maybe that's not saying much. I suppose that's usually the case. They, they won three games, but yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, just the, the non-conference schedule is obviously really going to hurt Oral Roberts and, you know, they had a couple of chances for some signature wins. Weren't quite ready. Weren't quite able to get them done. Um, but the, the, the schedule is also abbreviated. And so, um, you know, my guess is all these mid-major schools are really going to be, I mean, cause if you look at their records, the records obviously aren't that good. Um, but that's just kind of the nature of the, the non-conference schedule. And, um, but you know, back to the way they played, you know, it's basically you know, everything that we've, we've always been concerned about it, it. This, this was really sort of reaffirming 
to me that really kind of the things that we've been saying the last couple of years has, has, has been right. I mean, Greg, how many times have we talked about Oral Roberts just not probably playing with that sense of urgency on the defensive end, probably not being as balanced as, as we'd like to see him. And obviously it's it, nothing's to please us, but, you know, just wondering if they would be a better version of themselves if they did. And obviously it's probably not lost on their coaching staff either, but they did both those things. This was their best defensive effort. I mean, I know they gave up some points, but like if you just watch them play, I think they played pretty well on defense and obviously moving the ball, you know, that's everything that we've been talking about for almost years. And they, it, it kind of all came together. And it's just like, yes, this is, we, we, I think we, I think everybody in the conference wanted to see what they would look like if it all kind of came together and it did. Right. Yep. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Well, let's move on to some of the matchups. Oral Roberts, the tournament champion, they they played North Dakota State in the in the championship game, and we'll kind of go backwards, I guess, in at least into the championship in the semifinal, and then we could talk about some other things noticed in the tournament as well. Uh, Oral Roberts jumped out to that forty-five to twenty halftime lead. It looked like they were going to run away. There was many uh, North Dakota State fans <clears throat> on Twitter that either direct messaged me or commented on something basically saying this one's over. And I kept saying, I don't think it is like, and not that I wanted to be right or was hoping to be right, but it just, we've seen that so many times with North Dakota state and then Rocky cruiser took over the second half, uh, came down to the last possession, basically. Um, what were your guys' thoughts on that, uh, on that game in particular? Well, I just thought, you know, it, it, you're right. I mean, these teams are too good to play like that for two halves, you know, and it just, you knew the the push was going to come from the Bison. Uh, We haven't seen them in that situation, quite frankly, because they just, they, they haven't really played like that in a half in a, in a very, very long time. So we haven't had to see them come from behind and, and seen what that's looked like, but they actually came from behind much more efficiently than I thought they would. And, you know, they they did it, did it smart way. It wasn't just forcing threes and, but it was just playing a better version of what, of how they like to play with, with a little bit more tempo. And, uh, and how about Rocky Cruiser this whole tournament, man? Yep. You know, we were talking about at the, at the wards breakdown about, you know, boy, is he a borderline first team all conference? Yeah, well, the answer is, uh, Zach, you're wrong. He's not borderline. He's <laughs> an absolutely elite player. He's, right. he's absolutely, and he played so well. And, um, you know, you just know how bad he wants it. You know how bad all those guys want it. And so it's unfortunate they had a hiccup in the first half and it cost them the game. But uh, just a just a, a gutsy performance, and it told us a lot about their character. Yeah, it did. It, it's, and I, I get, you know, when it comes to tournament time, you know, when it's um, – or, you know, the, the, the most difficult teams to play against are the teams with nothing to lose. And, you know, you go back – I went back to the – the last regular season game that NDSU and SDSU played when NDSU's up 22 on SDSU. Um, SDSU at that point in time has nothing to lose. So they, they, they get after it. They lay it all out there. They, they aren't worried about missing shots, you know, and they're shooting with confidence and those are dangerous teams to play. And we saw the same thing then when Oral Roberts got a big on NDSU and NDSU saying, Hey, there is no tomorrow. You know, we, we have, we have to lay everything out here and give ourselves a chance. And, and the teams that are in the lead at times will go, oh, you know, man, do I want to take this great shot if it's too early in the shot clock? Because then I give them more time, we give them more possessions. I think, I think those are the teams that have the pressure on them is to is to to maintain that lead or at least give themselves a chance to win the game. So, uh, you know, NDSU, great talent, 
and, and that's the whole thing. You play, when you play good teams, you know what they're capable of doing. And when they play with no pressure on them and with nothing to lose, that's, that's a difficult opponent to play against. So to NDSU's credit, they gave themselves a chance. It was ended up being too big of a hole to dig out of for them. But credit ORU that they had to make plays that they made down the stretch to, to win that game. So it was an incredible comeback, great effort, two really good teams, and, and Oral Roberts found a way to come out on top. And the, the last comment I'll make, it's much harder to play with a lead than I think most people realize. Oh, and yeah. it's a problem that every coach would love to have. Um, <laughs> but it's it's once you get that lead, you're fighting every little bit of human nature to mm-hmm. just let up a little bit. And the difference between great and mediocre is just fractional on this level. And all you have to do is let, let, let up a little bit. Just like Greg said, if you catch it, you know, maybe if you have a 20 point light, instead of just being aggressive and shooting it right away, maybe you're like, ah, maybe I should work an extra five seconds off the clock. And then now you're thinking and nobody's ever thought their way into being a better player or a better shooter. And so um, it's just I, I wouldn't necessarily take that as a, a negative for Oral Roberts or any of these other ones. No. It's just it, no. it, that's just a part of this game. Runs are a part of this game and you're, you're going to be on either side of them throughout the course of any game. Well, and they were playing against a team that we just know historically is not going to mail it in the second half, even mm-hmm. down 25. So yeah. like, and then it gets down to 16. You know, I started going through the game log and it's 19 and then 16 and four. And then all of a sudden those open three point shots have pressure on them when you're mm-hmm. an Oral Roberts shooter and that now they're not falling when in the first half, everything would fall. Yeah. And, and so it just starts to snowball a little bit. And going back to a point you made earlier, Zach, Kevin O'Banner, I, I should look up the minutes, but he was in foul trouble every game this tournament. Yeah. And maybe the most impressive thing, or at least the least talked about thing with Oral Roberts for this championship run is the guys that stepped up that we were wondering if they would all season. Now we've talked about Kareem Thompson. I to to me, he was an all-tournament team guy. I would I would have put him ahead of O'Banner myself. Now O'Banner had maybe the biggest shot of the tournament and had some really big shots at the end of the game against North Dakota state. But Thompson, just every time O'Banner was out, it was Thompson hitting a big shot. Thompson, a turnaround in the lane, Francis Latsis, who I haven't always been that nice to about his interior defense comes up with the block of the year on mm-hmm. Sam Griesel's attempt. Carlos Jurgens constantly getting his hands on balls. It was those other guys are the reason why Oral Roberts is dancing. Because well, they then, stepped up. Yeah, and then and then Deshane Weaver. I right, mean, yeah. Holy yeah. smokes. That that guy and the thing is is like I'm just so happy for the guy because he's just been through so much. Right. He's been through more than pretty much any player on that floor, and it's not his fault. And he's just battled and his game's changed and he's find a way to uh, affect the game. You know, all of a sudden he's this three point shooting rim protector. It's just like that was not what he was early in his career, but that's just what he's sort of made himself into now. And if he's out there and, and he's this version of him, that puts a lot of pressure on the defense, especially when you have Max Asmus and Kevin O'Banner. So they're really kind of coming. They're just Everything just kind of came together, and, and it clicked for them this weekend, and it was it was great to see. I'm happy that they were able to put it together and, and you know, obviously breaking South Dakota, North Dakota State's uh, stranglehold on the conference for uh, around that uh, – NCAA tournament on Mac Bid for the last nine years. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Greg. No, I, 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 I'm in complete agreement. I, I thought Weaver was the MVP for ORU for the first two games. I mean, he averaged 29 minutes a game and 15 points a game. And, and basically with, 
with O'Banner in foul trouble uh, against UND, we were carried, literally carried. The, and so I, it, it was good to see him. And, and, and my guess is the, maybe the guy that was more pleased than anybody was Paul Mills to see what Weaver was able to bring along with those other guys because they, again, they got contributions from a lot of different players at key times. And, and that's what it takes. That's what it takes to win the tournament. And uh, it, it, it certainly worked out for them. It's funny you mentioned that UND game, uh, Greg. It, you know, we were going back and forth on calling that upset, and I eventually did. And it was just, I was watching that. I'm like, man, it actually played out the way yeah. that they needed to play out to upset. They they guarded them well. They guarded them well as well as anybody. Yeah. And, you know, they had O'Banner in foul trouble, you know, but then Phil Perbaccio misses 10 minutes. And yeah. UND just couldn't couldn't make bunnies. I mean, quite honestly, it there's not really any more analysis needed than that. And, uh, but uh, just an interesting game. They won many different ways, and uh, that's just that's what champions do. Well, and one more comment I'll make on Max Acemas, because we're, we're going to spend a week now. Uh, one good thing for the conference, the leading scorer in the NCAA is going to get a lot of national attention going into the tournament. Uh, but I, I'll be honest, I was more impressed because all three teams really focused on not letting him get good looks. And yes, he still scored you know, 20 points a game. So it wasn't like he, he was, you know, shut down, but he averaged 6.7 assists. He, he didn't force things. He got the ball to other players. He really showed he's a pretty complete player, um, uh, which is nice from the player of the year of the conference. Yeah. He was even starting to pass up shots that by his standards were relatively open, right? Because his teammates were knocking down shots and that didn't bother him at all. Cause it was, it was working. And let me ask you guys this. How does this guy play 40 minutes every game and he doesn't break a sweat? Every time I look at him, he's just out there, not winded, just kind of doing his thing, running the whole running the whole conference, and he's not even breaking a sweat. I'm like, how does that happen? I don't know. Yeah, he's an elite-level player, no question. Yeah, It clearly works. I mean, that that's the yeah. only way that a person can do that and not it's putting in the effort. I'll ask one more question on this game, and then we'll go to a couple of other games and we'll, uh, especially the semifinal games, because I think they're interesting to talk about. Um, I personally think this is a little bit of fan glasses on, but there was some talk that maybe Greasel was followed on that last that that last shot by Latsis. What do you guys think on that one? Do you, do you think it was pretty clean? Um, would you make the call? I don't. You know, I mean, I you get a lot of interpretation, and I I think it really comes down to if it's unless it's you know. Uh, Really, really obvious. I, I think typically, and and I know everybody's going to say, well, if you wouldn't, you know, if you aren't going to make that call at the end of the game, then you can't make it three minutes in. I more often than not, the officials, whether whether you like it or not, they're going to let the players decide the game. And and I think it was one of those where, um, and, and Dave Rich will be the first one to say, hey, listen, it, it it wasn't about that one play. We didn't lose because of that one play. Um, right. they they lost because of you know the forty thirty nine minutes and 50 seconds prior to that. So it was, um, it was, it was guys making plays and, and you know what? We always told the guys, Hey, expect the contact. Don't expect the foul call. You know what I mean? So you got to find a way to, to, to get through it. And so, no, I'm, I'm not going to be critical of the officiating from that standpoint. Well, I mean, you're absolutely right, Greg. I mean, that's if the more basketball you watch, if you really pay attention to these end of game situations, they just don't, they don't call those. The, the officials want the players to decide the game, and you're right. Should it be different than the rest of the game? Ideally not, but we all know it is. It's that way on the high school level, on the college level, wherever, you know, 
And let me ask, I, I, I would ask the NDSU fans that, this. Um, if that same standard is applied to the Kansas City game, Brandon McKissick's probably playing, shooting free throws and maybe NDSU doesn't even make it out of those quarters. So, because huh. there, there, there was a similar yeah. play at the end of the game with Brandon McKissick and, right? Did I, yep. am I misremembering no, that? Oh, no, you're right. No, no you're yeah. right. And so it's like, they're, they're kind of, they were beneficiaries and then they were kind of the, you know, maybe on the 50-50 on the losing end of the other one. So it's, that's just the way it happens at the end of the game. Don't, expect to call like never do it 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 and that's just the way it is i think everybody the sooner you understand that and accept that the sooner you can just learn to deal with it and play around it i guess well and zach i was going to make the point if it was switched around ndsu fans would you have wanted the foul called but you actually yeah. remembered two games back when it when it yeah. was switched around and i think that's an even better point like i think sometimes mm-hmm. we just get Stuck into what we see. There was lots of pictures where later there's clearly contact, but up top it was pretty clean. Yeah. They just weren't going to call it. It maybe was a jump ball, that kind of thing. But yeah, it it I I knew NDSU would make it a game, and it made it for one heck of a finish, um, and wrapped up the tournament pretty well. Um, it is pretty crazy to think that the last uh, Summit League team to make the tournament that was not North Dakota State or South Dakota State does not play in the Summit League anymore. Uh, right. It was, it was uh, Oakland, uh, whatever that was 11 years ago or at this yeah. point. Yeah. So yeah, the, the first time one of the seven teams, not, not, uh, not those two teams to make the tournament in quite some time, probably since Oral Roberts 13 years ago. So, yeah. Yeah. well, we'll move down to the South Dakota state uh, Oral Roberts semifinal matchup. I'll start with a question and then just, uh, Go into what you thought about the game itself. Heck of a game, heck of a finish. Uh, Baylor Shireman wasn't on the all-tournament team. Greg, you had mentioned it's just kind of one of those things you almost always get two players from each team in the final, and then there's one spot left. Is that kind of what it was? Did Shireman deserve to be on the all-tournament team? Is it just he deserved it, but there's only five spots? What do you think, Greg? I, I think that's accurate. And to be honest with you, you know, having a Mude on there is, is, is more the exception than the rule. Typically, you're going to get three from the winning team, maybe two, you know, from the, the runner up. And, and if you do get one that's not in the championship game, it's because of some, you know, um, amazing performance. And, and so I that's kind of my thought is I never really expected. I never expected that players necessarily that didn't play in the championship game to be on the all tournament team. Yeah, it's it's always it bug it that always bugs me, and they, they do the same thing in high school too. Um, you know, it's not it, if if they're just picking te- players from the teams in in the championship game. That's it, they should probably call it something else in the all tournament team. But you know, it, what it I, yeah it I don't think Barely Shireman's too broken up about it today. You know, I mean, it's just, no, it's one of those things. Like, did he deserve to be on there? In my opinion, yes. That's not. Uh, whatever you want to call it, tradition or whatnot. So he's not. And, but it, it did stick out to me because he was that good. I mean, he was so good. Yeah, yeah. really, really was. I'll, I'll ask one more question and then feel free at, after answering to go into what you thought of the game. Uh, just something I just thought about. So you've got Kevin O'Banner, who's a junior Baylor Shireman, who's a sophomore, uh, Max Asmus, who's a sophomore. Now Douglas Wilson is a senior and w- who knows what will happen um, at the with his decision uh, whether he comes back for the free year or not but you've got three 
basically first team players in this game who could be in the league for at least two more years. How lucky are we? I guess I don't know. I don't know what my question is. I just made a statement, but I, how lucky are we to have three players that could be continue? This battle could continue to happen for years to come. <laughs> and these players are going to get sick of each other, <laughs> right? They're just going to. And because the thing about it is, every time they play, there's going to be these amazing games. You know, but at some point, they're going to be like, right, I'm just sick and tired of looking at these guys, man. <laughs> yeah. right. I mean, you know, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it is. I and I throw the NDSU guys in there too. You know, Cruiser and and you know it's and it's going to be it's going we're going to be the beneficiaries. And I know another question that you got, you know, is and that people have asked, hey, are these players going to do what Matt Mooney did, transfer up a level, and and try out? Maybe you know some might. Um, I, I think it's probably more um, typical. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if an O'Banner goes, uh, you know, to to play at a higher level. But at the same time, he's both he and Asmus could i guess and a lot of these guys could but i think a lot of them also appreciate the opportunity and love where they're playing love their teammates and they probably figure you know i I can get seen i can get noticed at this level you know most of most of the summit league's games are or a lot of the summit league games are on tv they're on espn plus they can be seen by a lot of people i you know some might some might, and I think a lot will stay. I, I would say a few maybe will move, but they're going to be the exceptions. I think the rule is most of these kids are going to play things out where they're at. Yeah, it, uh, boy, it's a, this is going to be basically a perfect storm that we're heading into in this off season here. Um, so to kind of set the table here, we have the NCAA saying nobody's using a year of eligibility this year. So everybody can come back next year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very like everybody's operating under the assumption that transfers are going to be immediately eligible. Um, so we got that going on. And then. But, you know, that so, you know, every team is going to do everything they can to bring back their their starters. And largely, I believe that they, they probably will. Um, and really, the first domino is what happens at the highest level. Right. You know, because I really don't think that we're going to see starters or major contributors for these teams make lateral moves my guess is what they want to do is go up to a power five conference or something like that and it's going to be a while before we know exactly what's going on there because we're going to have to worry about the the draft declarations things like that and i gotta believe that there's just going to be many less spots available um you know i don't know that a lot of these teams if they're allowed to carry more scholarship players which it sounds like they will be we don't know that they can afford it. I agree. And, like m- most of these schools can't. I know like for a fact, most of them can't. And so just because they can, the NCAA is assuming that they will, but they won't. And they'll probably bring in all their freshmen that they're, that they've been recruiting. Cause they're, they're pretty coveted. I, you know, highly regarded. Um, and so they're keeping all these other people. So what happens? There's this log jam. My guess is probably some of the sophomores and juniors are going to get squeezed out. Right? And they're going to be told to find a different place to play. And so if you're transferring in the middle of all of this, what are the chances? Okay, so you may be able to find a scholarship somewhere, but if everybody's bringing back all their important players, you're not going to have a role. And that's what these kids have to be so careful about is there's going to be many less roles. And they also have to understand where they're at in the the food chain, right? Because there's going to be a lot of movement around on these these Power 5 rosters too. And so do they want to leave something that they know – for greener pastures 
but they don't even know if the grass is greener or not because they don't even have a clue where they could be going. In an average year, we think, okay, that they, they can, they're, they're going to be able to find something, but it's going to be like, if, if they're actually smart about it and they're thinking this through, they're going to have to wait a long time before they have to, before they have the information that they need to make that decision. It may not be to the end of the spring semester or even into the summer. And at that point, it's like, do you want to transfer right before the fall? And then what are your chances of actually getting traction with the team that's bringing back all their best players? So I don't know. Every situation is a little different, but it is, this off season is completely different than any other off season. And it's not something I would want to go in. I would not, I would not, I would, I would avoid transferring at all costs if I was a player right now. I'd just be a hundred percent honest. I'd, I'd avoid transferring at all costs. I'd get through this year. I'd let the dust settle, figure out what's going on. Um, you have equity built up with this coaching staff and, uh, but no, we, we could, I don't want to get too carried away here. I know I am, but like, this is, it's very, very fascinating and it's a perfect storm for the kids who are not seeing the situation clearly and don't understand the risks, what they're getting themselves into. They can get caught in the transfer portal with no home. And then what there were 400 less freshmen signed this year in division one football because of this, this sort of problem that hasn't even totally manifested itself yet. These coaching staffs don't know what their roster can look like because they don't know how many scholarships they can have. And so they're going to be hesitant. And so, and I'm, I'm sorry guys, but there's just, there's a lot that's going to go into this. And so if it's, impo- it's, it's damn near impossible to get all the information you need to make a good decision. Well, and it is interesting, Zach, you know, as you, as you talk, the, the point of the free years, quote unquote, was the if this whole thing falls apart because of COVID. I would imagine that was really the reasoning. And then, of course, it really, I mean, I know there were canceled games, and I know that things didn't work perfectly, but we're going to have an NCAA tournament. We're going to crown a champion. Most teams played 80 90% of their games. And so now, now you've got this, you know, not every solution solves a problem, or if it does solve one problem, it causes multiple other problems and so that's kind of what we've run into a little bit here and you can you can certainly pull back out of the portal but your team can't wait to fill they your may, spot while yeah, they may trying to make it. a decision yeah. yeah they may fill it too so you know yeah. and then on the other side of this you, got, you have these schools and what if they're able to free up a scholarship you know a school like und they may get a player that they wouldn't have had a, a chance at before trickle down from a power of five because there's no spots on a power five and somebody that's probably should get a power five, they just kind of slip through the cracks down to UND. And so if that's happening, what are the players at this level when they're trying to transfer, where are they going to go? What does that mean for them? You know, and, 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 uh, and all that. So. Yeah. You know, well, and, and so back to the South Dakota state, uh, Oral Roberts game, Kevin O'Banner tipping at the buzzer, Number one play on Sports Center. Uh, just another one of those times that that guy, his athletic ability, and, and you know, I wrote on on the article about it that it's almost like he entered the matrix to get that rebound and put it back up and in. And he just, he's a special player. Max Asmus is going to get a lot of attention, but Kevin O'Banner is a special player, um, and that play was just indicative of that. I agree. He is um, just an impact player. And I, I think uh, 
that, that's why ORU is going to be intriguing in the tournament. I mean, depending on who they match up with, you know, they've got some players where you go, they're not going to be an easy out, especially if they continue to buy in defensively and can find a way to get a few stops here and there. They've got the offensive firepower, and especially with their role players stepping up and playing at probably the, the best they have all season. O'Banner is, you know, his body and his skill set is not second to a, a, a ton of players in the country, to be honest with you. So, and then Ace is what he does. So, no, but going back to O'Banner, just – I hope the guy. I hope the kid stays in the league. He's fun to watch, and uh, along with all the other players that we've talked about, you know, from Robracha at UND to Rocky to Shireman to you know so many in the league that we're we're just. I I hope they all stay in the league, and I can't wait to watch them over the course of their career. Right. The the only thing I'll add about that play is the importance of taking the last shot at the right time. You know, it's sometimes it's a team's not able to, but ideally. You know, this is that's exactly why you take that shot with like four seconds to allow for that offensive rebound. Absolutely. Defense forgets about rebounding because they think the game is ending. Kevin O'Banner is on the equal and opposite side, and he's right there. I mean, that's literally what you draw up. That's going to be in instructional videos for like ever. That's exactly what you're supposed to do at the end of the game. Take the shot without much time. Allow for the offensive rebound, and uh, perfect. Yeah. 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 Really impressive. I, I, there's nothing else to say, to say with that necessarily. Um, great game, great finish. Um, I, I, it was it was fun to be there. One other little comment on Kevin O'Banner. He's he's just such a mild mannered person. I asked in the press conference, you know, about what can he do as they they advance to the NCAA tournament to stay out of fall trouble so that he can stay on the floor. And he sits there for a second and with a half smile says. Uh, don't foul. <laughs> you know, it's just, it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, like he's, but yet he's, he's mild mannered, but he's got that ability even in the NDSU game. Like when they needed a big shot and he came back in, in the last couple minutes, he got the ball and made a big shot. And so he's, he's, he's got that a little bit of a, he's just a guy that will come in and make shots. Um, so, so I wanted to, touch on South Dakota versus North Dakota state, maybe not as much about the game unless you want to talk about the game other than it showed again, North Dakota state just never stops fighting. They were down, I think nine at halftime came back one again. Uh, but even on South Dakota without AJ Plitz, I, I had picked them to lose in the first round. They almost made it to the championship game. And I think would have with the way they were playing had a, a good chance to, uh, to advance at that point. Um, what were you guys' thoughts on South Dakota? And if you want to go into the game in specific, feel free. Well, I had a chance to actually do the South Dakota Western Illinois game. And I, I was kind of thinking after watching them play a week prior against North Dakota state without AJ, you know, I, I thought they were certainly vulnerable. Now Western Illinois did them no favors. I, they, they played in a manner that perplexed me beyond belief, but yeah, uh, especially offensively, but I, I give them a lot of credit. I thought they really adapted over the course of a week. You know, Todd Lee and his staff had a week to say, all right, here's how we're going to play without AJ. And I give them a ton of credit. They guarded exceptionally well. They had NDSU on the ropes the entirety of that game. And uh, so I, I was really impressed with them. They would have they would have been, they would have given ORU everything in the championship game had they been able to pull that one out against NDSU. So I, I just thought that I was really impressed with, with how everybody else kind of stepped their game up and they seemed to be a. They, they were they were more than capable of winning that game. They were more than capable of winning the next night had they been able to. So, 
I was impressed with how they adapted. Yeah, the way they the way they adjusted, put Archambault in the, in the starting lineup, and they did not look like a team that just lost the runner-up to the conference player of the year. They didn't no. look like it, and and that's huge credit to to Coach Lee and those players and Stanley Mude, and uh, they were impressive to the fact that they were even to the point of of pushing NDSU to the brink of elimination is just it's incredible. I mean, they they hit their ceiling. They hit their ceiling, and, and it's unfortunate their ceiling where it was where it was, but that's just how it plays out some years. And uh, that's all you can do, though, is they hit, their, they hit their ceiling, and they did the most with what they had. And uh, just really impressive the way that they responded. Well, and I'll bring up a, a player, Tassos Camateros. I remember at the beginning of the year, you know, first 10 games or so, he could barely find the floor. And here he is an integral part to what they're doing to almost getting to the conference championship game. And who knows after that, it just another one of those players that Ben Tupanolam was another good example, but those guys that just work and work and work and their chance comes and they, and they make their best out of it. I I'm always so impressed with that, with a player that, that can uh, do things like that. Yeah. So if a player's ever thinking about transferring, like I said, look at the career of Ben Look right. at the uh, career of Comateros. Every team has a guy like this, and everybody just needs to understand what's possible. If they just stick with it, they're going to get an op- opportunity sooner rather than later. So, Couldn't agree more. Great point. So we'll wrap. We'll get clo- we're getting close to wrapping up as I get ready to, to go bowling, as, as exciting as that is. Um, the uh, – I actually wanted to ask a question based off of a back and forth that I had on Twitter today. Um, basically, the point was mid-major uh, conferences are doing it wrong. They should just award um, the the conference championship and the, the tournament berth to the team that is the number one seed and uh, and move on from there, basically arguing that South Dakota State would have been a better representative with a chance to win the the conference uh, game in the NCAA tournament. And I, my first point was, I think you picked a horrible year to make that point because Oral Roberts has a very good, I mean, as good a chance as anybody else. And I think this was the perfect year to show that the top four teams really were razor thin difference. But then my second point was, but that's what makes college basketball, college basketball, that there's a conference tournament, even the time we're 14 and two in conference, South Dakota state, lost in the first round. That's not great for the conference, but otherwise you sacrifice what college basketball is. So I'm probably preaching to the choir a little bit here, but I thought I'd get your guys' take on, is the Summit League doing the right thing by having a tournament at the end of the year, even if it might sacrifice the best team not always making the tournament? It absolutely is. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. This is this is what March is all about. I mean, people I, think March think people think March Madness is just the you know the 68 team tournament. Oh my gosh, how many? How, well, that's what Kevin O'Banner's putback was. What like you said, it's on Sports Center, and no, th- th- this is what makes it great. You know that what you do, you win that regular season title, and and I give the NCAA credit. The, the regular season title. Uh, SDSU is guaranteed in a normal year. They get to go to the NIT, and people go, "Oh, the right. NIT stinks." No, the NIT is a pretty important tournament. I mean, it's, I mean, there's some others that are insignificant, but I, and I like that that the regular season champion is guaranteed postseason play, but they get the advantage of the extra day. They get the advantage of playing the eighth seed, the, and and so 
no, those things are there. You, you work all season, you get to hang a banner, you're the favorite and, uh, and you've earned that. And so, you, you know, and, and you want to go prove it in the tournament and, and you try to tell the summit league that let's not have the tournament in a normal year when you've got, when I, I did afternoon women's games and there was no South Dakota team playing and there's 3,500 fans right. in there. Right. You know what I mean? There's no mid-major tournament that does that. And, uh, and then when you get the big games, there's 10, 11, 12,000 fans in, in the stands. And I don't care if they're pro SDSU or pro USD. It's irrelevant. It's a great atmosphere. And that's what these kids should get an opportunity to experience, you know, whether it's the one seed through the eight seed. So, no, I, I, I think it's I think it's great. I think it's the right way to do it. Yeah, yeah you know, a lot of different points here. I, I think it, it's important to distinguish what we're trying to do here. Are we trying to give somebody an attaboy for having a good regular season so they get a chance to play in the NCAA tournament? Or are we really trying to identify the best, what is it, 68 teams now? If we're trying to identify the best 68 teams as they're playing right now to have the best tournament, um, then having a conference tournament would be the best thing. I mean, part of me understands wanting to reward the regular season champion more. The regular season champion probably should be emphasized a little bit more. I know I kind of said, you know, I think it was like a podcast or two ago, I just said, well, man, regular season champion, who cares? Nobody hangs a manner about it. But, I mean, it, 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 it does mean something, and it should mean something. And just like you said, Greg, the fact that there are automatic births in the NIT, I think that's good. I think that's yeah. a good compromise. I think that's a good. I'm, I'm glad that there is something. I'm mm-hmm. glad you don't. You can't go 20 and 0 and then have a hiccup and then you're just done. And so, um, I, I think that I think that spot in the NIT is good because you're right. That, that that tournament's good. It's good. I don't care what anybody says. It's good. And you know, I think the overarching theme is like, who looks at this last weekend and says, "That was awful. Let's never do that again." Like, <laughs> right. it's like, is, isn't this like it's supposed to like? This isn't like doing your taxes, like. What's wrong with having fun and competing and in, in just the joy of competition? It's okay. Like, I, whoever says that they want less college basketball, I mean, come on, man. Like, right. If you can't have fun, go home. So, well, you know. And, and pick the wrong time to, to get into the argument with me, the person did, just because I, I'm not a, a fan of any of these teams, and that was the funnest sporting event I've ever been at. Yeah. And, and it just because of the drama and the excitement and it would have been better with people in the crowd. And frankly, to, to argue that South Dakota state, I mean, it's, it's, it's a semi home. They're the closest school to the tournament. So, so they, they get more advantages than just being the first seed and that's not their fault. Like it is just what it is, but yeah. It, so I, I wanted to get your take. And sometimes Zach, you're, you're a little bit, um, uh, on the other side of more, more for the, for the number one seed. So I was curious if I was just off my rocker or not, but it m- emotionally, it was the wrong time to have that argue with me. Cause I just had, uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I, like, like you were saying, I think this is kind of the worst year to, to pick this because this, this, you know, this scenario would have played out exactly like it should have, you know, USD gets re- rewarded with an NIT birth. And so they get to go play the NIT and they get to go play the big boys and they get to go have that. But AJ Plitzowitz's injury significantly diminishes their chances of, of being competitive in the NCAA tournament. And so now Oral Roberts gets to go there because they earned it and they're playing the best and they have the best chance of actually winning games in that tournament. And so, I mean, this, the way it would have played out, I think, I think it would have been about as good as we could have hoped for. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, and, and we'll think about, and maybe in a, in a week or so having a, uh, 
postseason wrap up, kind of talk about what we think, what go through each team or something like that. We'll we'll be in touch on Twitter on whether that will happen or not. But this will wrap up our tournament edition of the podcast. And I appreciate you guys make it, carving out time to make this happen short notice. Always enjoy it, guys. Yep, it's been a lot of fun. All right, take care, guys.